Hi team, welcome back to Becoming a Doctor. I'm Kira, a third year medical student at the University of Birmingham. And I'm Lucy, a second year medical student at the University of Cambridge. Welcome back to our podcast series where we bring you honest insights about life as a medical student, discuss current affairs and talk to guests to inform and motivate you on your journey to becoming a doctor. Welcome to our Open Pod mini-series where we interview medical students from all different medical schools. We'll pick their brains and ask all the important questions you would have asked on an open day. There's an awful lot to consider when choosing your medical school, but don't worry, we break it down with our one-tour guests to help you make the most informed decision possible. So, don't let a global pandemic get in the way of choosing the medical school that's right for you. So, even if you're not in year 12, now is the best time to start prioritising what you want in your medical school. You'll be there for five or six years and you're definitely going to want to enjoy it, so make sure you think about location, the type of course, clinical contact and intercalation and these are all things we're going to discuss with our guests in each of our open pod episodes. In this episode we're joined by Soham who has just graduated from the University of Oxford. So without further ado, Soham would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi uh, my name's Soham and as you correctly said I graduated from the University of Oxford and I'm currently working as a doctor in Norton Keynes Hospital and I'm also a part-time academic as well. You mentioned you're a part-time academic, so what does that actually entail? So um, I'm an academic doctor, so I have dedicated protected time for research and teaching activities um, in addition to my clinical duties. Well, congratulations, because I know those spots are highly sought after, so you must have done extremely well to get it. Which pathway are you on? Is it a research, teaching or management one? So I'm on a flexible one where I can do all three if I want to. I'm choosing to focus on teaching and research with uh, my research interests being in paediatrics, global surgery and neurosurgery. So without further ado, how is your course delivered at Oxford? So Oxford is divided into two stages, a preclinical stage and a clinical stage. So each one has its own dedicated aims and objectives. So the preclinical stage has two years of training you in the theory of medicine, followed by an intercalated degree, while the clinical stage has three years of just training you in practical skills and how to take histories, how to examine patients, and how to manage patients adequately as a foundation year doctor. So they have very different objectives and as such they're very different teaching styles. So the first three years are very much lecture heavy, and practical heavy and they're more involved in giving you knowledge by just presenting it to you. And this is supplemented by what we call tutorials, which is where you have a tutor who's usually a world expert or very good at a certain topic who gets together with you and a few other people, deliver teaching on a one-on-one basis to clarify further points with you and to delve into greater detail about some of niches within that specialty. This allows you to really get a good understanding of topics and really helps you develop academically and also gives you a solid grounding for clinical work later on because you should be able to understand the theories behind various things. And then Uh when you go on to clinical school, this is where you have a lot more patient interaction. This is when you become a lot more like the other medical schools across the country where you get equipped to do basic day-to-day things that F1, i.e. a foundation, your doctor, would be expected to do, i.e. take a history, do a proper exam, take bloods, So it's condensing all the knowledge and skills that you would get maybe in five years in other universities into those three years, but it's very manageable. So you mentioned tutorials there. How often would you be having those in the preclinical years? So this really depends on the college you're in. Colleges may give you one tutorial per week and each term is eight weeks long. So you might get eight tutorials in the term. 
other colleges might give you one per day, which could be seven tutorials wow. in a week at times eight in a, in a term. So it's, it's very variable. I personally had about three or four tutorials a week. Yeah, at Cambridge, we have one supervision per module every week. So in first year, that's three a week at least. I think that's pretty yeah. much the average and that should be the normal, roughly. Now, I'm not very familiar with this whole collegiate system. So are all of the medicine courses at each different college separate or are they intermingling? So I, I think the best way to think about it would be if you thought of Oxford as like a little country by itself and each uh -huh. of the colleges as their own university trying to live wow. in medicine. So like while there is a general syllabus uh, that everyone's trying to follow and everyone's been told that they have to follow this, each college delivers it a bit differently. Each college decides to uh -huh. specialise on a certain thing. The only point which this analogy fails is during examinations, where we do have a common examination at the end of it. So whilst okay. we might get taught yeah. different things within our different colleges, we do have that centralised resource of lectures and practicals that we can all go to to ensure that once we get to that central exam that we all take, we do have the bare minimum knowledge needed to pass and potentially even do well on that exam, depending yeah. on what we've done in our own time and what our tutorials and colleges are focused in on. You just mentioned something interesting then about how each college has a different speciality. Is that something that might affect people when they apply? And what do you mean by speciality? So I, I'm not sure whether it would affect people applying, but it yeah. will affect what topics you get taught in great detail in down the line. For example, if you have a neurosurgeon as one of your tutors, you'll obviously okay. get taught neurosurgery quite well. You get taught neuroanatomy quite well. If you have a yeah. neurophysiologist, you'll probably get taught about voltage-gated channels, action potentials really well. So e each person has a specialised knowledge about, about a certain topic. They know the research papers out there and they know the clinical evidence out there. They know why this topic is important and they can give you the information in such a way that when it comes to the exams and you have to write essays about these various topics, you have that in-depth personal knowledge from an expert in that area. This very much depends on what topics come up in the exam, of course. If, for example, you've been taught by a neurophysiologist, but none of the exams questions are on neurophysiology, then it relies on more rudimentary knowledge that you've gained through self-learning and through less niche knowledge presented to you by the tutor. So then it becomes more difficult, I guess, to excel in that specific area, but you still can excel if you are dedicated enough. I'm not sure if the tutorial system is the same as the supervision style that we have at Cambridge, but even if you do have a specialist supervisor or tutor, they will still cover the rest of the course. So for physiology, even if you did have a specialist in neurophysiology or cellular physiology or whatever it is, they would cover the rest of the course too. So like if there was a macro or systems physiology, they would still cover that. Or is it different at Oxford? No, so you're absolutely right. They do cover everything. But the difference is they can only cover the other aspects to the knowledge that you would get in a lecture. So it wouldn't go further in depth. If you, for example, have a specific interest in a certain topic or you want to learn more about the ins and outs of a certain topic, for example, if you're really interested in endocrine stuff, you're not going to get that if all the tutors in the college do not have any special interest in endocrine because they won't be able to give you that in-depth knowledge outside of what you would get from a lecture, i.e the bare basics that you need to do that you need to get to pass so they can give you the foundation blocks but they can't give you they can't build the towers for you that they can within their specialist niches and how long would you have said tutor for so this very much depends on the topic so i you could have one tutor for just one tutorial throughout the whole course of your degree just because they are a specialist in that area and they have a contract yeah. with your college and your college will hire them to teach you on that one topic because they know they'll give you some excellent teaching and really build your knowledge on it 
other people are more long-term and they kind of just have, for example, they could be an orthopedic surgeon. So they have a decent understanding about various parts of anatomy and they could just teach you about various anatomical parts. Obviously, they'll have different degrees of knowledge about the various bits. So they may excel when it comes to bones and things like that. And they may just be able to give you the basic building blocks for um, cardiac or respiratory physiology without being able, without going into like consultant level knowledge in those areas. And what about practical delivery of those sessions? So how many medical students would there be in one tutorial and how long would they be for? So once again, very variable. It's very much dependent on the <laughs> tutor. It could be, for example, 40 minutes with two of you yeah. or it could be two hours with six of you. It very much okay. depends on how the teacher yeah. likes to work. Yeah, very similar for us too. Do you get mixed up or do you stay with the same people in your tutorial throughout the year? So the collegiate system works in a way that you usually have tutorials with your college students. So there are six of us in a college. We usually mix and match potentially between us or we stick with a certain group depending on how we feel as a cohort. Six people in one college? Yes. Oh my goodness, that's so diddy. I didn't expect that at all. Yeah, that's why the college system is just so nice. It means that you get to know your college medics really, really well. Six is just for the medics though. So usually across the entire college, across all of the different subjects, the year group at your college would be about 100 or more. So do you get essays for your tutorials? Yeah, so Oxford works on an essay-based exam. So it's a Bachelor of Arts degree. Well, you get a Bachelor of Science degrees. So the reason being is we get examined on essays where you obviously have your short answer questions, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a huge focus on perfecting essays in Oxford. Yes, same for us too. So because we're examined on our essays, our intercalated degree is also a Bachelor's of Arts, not a Bachelor's of Science. And what about anatomy teaching? How is that delivered? So we have pro sections where anatomists and pathologists and surgeons have already set out the anatomy for you. And mm-hmm. you go in there and you can look at this. You can ask questions to these demonstrators. You can ask them to teach you. You can learn about it yourself by reading a book and comparing it to what you're seeing. So it's very much the onus is on you to really make the most of those sessions. How frequently would you have those sessions? Would it be a couple of hours a week or less frequent than that? So a couple of hours a week. Okay. And then when would be the first time you see a real life patient? So the first time you see a real life patient is in first year. We have what we call Uh GP sessions where we go to a GP surgery and we learn about a specific topic from an expert patient or expert patients. Let's say that's diabetes or a genetic condition. And we get to talk Uh with that patient to learn more about the ins and outs of how they've lived with their condition and get a true first-hand experience of it. That's not broken to little diagnostic blocks, but just raw information from the patient about how it makes them feel, the difficulties in their day-to-day life, what they would want from a doctor, etc. And how does that change in second year? So it's about the same as well. So we still have GP sessions in the first two years. We're not really learning how to be diagnosticians or doctors until our clinical school years. So how many GP sessions or clinical placements would you have a term in these preclinical years? So this is really putting my mind back a few, uh, many years. I would say about six hours a term potentially. Okay then. So in a typical preclinical week, when you take into account this limited patient contact, your practicals, your lectures and things, how many hours would you say there was then in a typical week? So this really depends on what year I'm in. So let's say I'm in year two, for example, I've got nine to five lectures and then a tutorial on top of that pretty much every day. So that's another hour, so about eight, nine hours. Are your tutorials in the evening? Yep. (laughs) Do you have them on weekends too? Uh, Sometimes, yeah. (gasps) Oh my God. So back onto clinical placements and clinical years. 
How does that work with the collegiate system? Does each college go to a set hospital or something different? So the collegiate system only really applies for the first three years in terms of all this. Okay. So the clinical school is a completely different ballgame. So in clinical um, school, as I said, it works a bit like every other university. We're all grouped mm-hmm. together as a, as a cohort. And then we're divided into various groups randomly or via other distributions that aren't based on our college system. So the collegiate system really doesn't apply after the first three years. And okay. the way that colleges can be helpful in clinical school is that they have pots of money. So like universities, each college has a different amount of money in which they can invest in students. And some colleges mm-hmm. are obviously a lot richer. Uh, they they also might offer more money for electives, more money for sports, more money for book grants, money for equipment grants. And they may also offer you access to tutors you don't have access to, for example, if they have a neurosurgery tutor who's teaching neuroanatomy in year two, you might also decide, you know what, I'll give you some extra neurosurgery teaching during clinical years, just specifically to you guys, that I won't offer to the rest of the cohort. Right. Yeah, the funding available from colleges at Oxford is honestly just amazing. And one of the things I'm so, so grateful for now that I'm actually at university, because it's so helpful for funding your own research or electives or sports or whatever it may be. There's just so, so much support and I absolutely very, very grateful for it. Yeah, I've heard good things about these pots of money at Oxford. So in the clinical years, how many students would there be in your year? I would say there's about 140 undergrads who usually make it through the first three years and then roughly another 30, 40 grad entry students. Yeah, well, I'd say on the smaller side, but yeah. So you've mentioned that it's a six-year course, and so intercalation is obviously compulsory for Oxford students. So how does that work for you? It's a medical sciences degree you get, right? Uh, yeah, so it's called so it's intercalated medical sciences degree. And back when I did it, which is very different to how it's been run now, you chose um, a topic and you did an intercalated degree on that topic. Oh, very interesting. Do you know how it's structured now? So I would recommend that they look at the website, but roughly, um, I think you have to choose like a major topic and some minor topics. And they give you a list of topics you can choose from. This can be like an infection, it could be um, cardiac, it could be respiratory. So it basically gives you the base, uh, the big themes, I think, in medicine. You just get, have to choose some things that you're going to focus on as your major degree point and some things you're going to focus on as a minor point in your degree. And would you recommend that students do an intercalation? Obviously, it's compulsory for Oxford, but perhaps more generally when students are thinking about doing an intercalation or whether to apply to a university where it's compulsory or whether it's just an option, would you still suggest that they apply to a university where intercalation is possible at least? What are your thoughts on what students should do, whether intercalation is a good idea or not? It depends on their motives, really. So I think a lot of students know that intercalated degree gives you more points in terms of FPAS applications, i.e. the applications for becoming a doctor, so you're more likely to rank higher. So that is usually a motive that some people do taking intercalated degrees. But then you have to remember this is a year of your life that you're, that you're kind of wasting if you don't actually want to do it. If, for example, you're placed somewhere else in the UK in that year, just because you didn't get those extra few points, would it make that much of a difference yeah. in your life? Um, you know absolutely you don't want to do research. What is the point of the integrated degree for you? However, if you do want to do research, integrated yeah. degree is a great way for you to gain access and insight into how academia works. Good and the bad. And the bad is definitely sometimes very gloomy. It makes you decide, you know what, well, do I want to do research? And you need to experience that to know yeah, you know what, yeah. this is bad, but the good definitely outweighs it for me. And you know, and sometimes the struggles, when you look back at it, they just make you a better researcher at the end of the day. Okay, thanks for that. Just a random question. At Cambridge, our Bachelors of Arts gets upgraded to a Masters after a few years. Does this happen at Oxford too? 
Yeah, we also get the fake masters, yeah. What? How does that work? How is that fair? Basically, after seven years, you can change the Bachelor of Arts or Bachelor of Science degree to a Master of Arts or a Master of Science degree, but it's still a bachelor's weighted. It just, you're allowed to change the name of it, and you can give £50 to the university for them to change the name of the degree. So it's just, oh, it's just okay. an ego thing rather than an actual thing. It sounds like a bit of a scam, doesn't it? So if we can ask you to cast your mind back to when you were applying to Oxford, would you be able to talk to us about what you did to help bolster your application or any insights you have that might help the students listening? So I'm not sure if the John Radcliffe Hospital still does that, but they used to have a work experience scheme. Maybe do work experience placements in Oxford or reach out to do maybe like research projects because I know there are like Crest Awards and EPQs. And if you reach out to maybe researchers at one of these colleges, it might be good to build those contacts, build those links so they know you're a hard worker, they know how you think. Because at the end of the day, an interview is just seeing if someone can cope with Oxford. And if they already know yeah. you can cope, you've already ticked that box, really. Okay. So what is student life like at Oxford? Because there's always this big stereotype that Oxford students are all really boring and arrogant. Is this true? What is student life actually like? Well, I can't speak for Cambridge. That might indeed be true on that side. <laughs> but, um, in Oxford... Like any other university, it's full of different people. Some are indeed more inclined to being more bookish or being more into their video games than social interactions with other people. But there's a large majority who really just are just normal people who are also yeah. in Oxford. That's the only difference. It's not like if you go to Oxford, you have to have a certain personality type. All uh -huh. Oxford's looking for is people who could do great things in the future and there are certain personalities that can do great things everyone is capable of it if they put their mind to it fantastic i think you've debunked that myth well and truly there one of the other things we wanted to ask was is oxford like cambridge is in the sense that in the preclinical years the medsoc isn't massive for sports and sports societies uh, but that tends to be because students always go to their college sports societies for like a less competitive club than say a uni sports society this is what I mean about the division. So in preclinical years, everything is very much college-based. So everything is more has a higher priority college-wise. But in your clinical school, it becomes like, as I said, like any other university, where that clinical school mentality becomes becomes your cohort. So you then have your medical your medical sports and societies really springing up yeah. during the clinical school years, and that's also true for Cambridge too. So if you look at Cambridge, they have they have very poor medical society representation at a preclinical level, but then once you go to clinical levels, they've got so many specific societies orientated well with medical students, and they've even got sports societies for medical students as well at a at just at a clinical level. So there seems to be a division there as well of a preclinical versus a clinical medical society, both Oxford and Cambridge too. And there's always our Oxford versus Cambridge varsity to look forward to too. I think we did beat you though last year, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. Competition means someone has to win. Also, are there any societies that you recommend for students who might be joining you at Oxford soon? Well, every listener who's probably listened to this already has their own hobbies, whether that's swimming, it could be water polo, it could even be Quidditch if they're really into Harry Potter. Well, I am indeed in the Quidditch Society in Cambridge. <laughs> Lovely. Um, all I could say is... <laughs> Explore your interests. Like, you're, you're at university possibly only once in your life, right? You can learn medicine throughout your lifetime. And this might be the only time you can experience proper university life, the good and the bad of it. So make the most of it. Get involved with things that you want. You can always leave it if you don't. There's no, no, no one's going to look at you going, oh, didn't really properly commit to that many societies. Just 
do what you want, have fun, take care of your mental health and well-being during university. Definitely. So you've discussed lots of questions already, but we'd just like to wrap it up with some quick-fire questions. Number one, what is the best thing about Oxford as a medical school? The fact that we have a great dean. Number two, what is the hardest thing you found about studying medicine at Oxford? So I think our second year course was once in a Guinness Book world record of having the most facts anyone's meant to learn in the shortest space of time for a university degree. So that was quite difficult. Yeah, second year is not fun. <laughs> Gosh, okay, how did you cope with that? Because it's in the Guinness World Book of Records doesn't mean humans can't beat it. Very, very true. Okay, number three. Why did you choose to go to Oxford? Um, I chose to go to Oxford because I really like the city when I went on open day and I really wanted to go to somewhere with a strong academic grounding in terms of research and I know Oxford offered me the opportunity. And then finally, what tips would you give to some of our listeners who are applying to Oxford? I know you've mentioned previously getting work experience at Oxford, but is there anything else you might suggest they do? I would advise them really consider how best do they learn. Do they actually learn best by having people deliver material to them? Do they learn best by forming research, etc., on various topics? And if so, to showcase that they learn best by those methods, by actually trialling it out, not just stating it. And if in that endeavour they find, you know what, I actually don't like learning like this, I actually prefer learning a completely different way, that's actually a really good thing, because then you figure out what you know, that Oxford and Cambridge isn't actually for you. So definitely try this, definitely try and figure out whether you can learn via the Oxford method, because if you do find out that you can, you can demonstrate it as well in your personal statement, etc. So how would you suggest that our listeners find out if they like the Oxbridge style of teaching? So I know you've mentioned the Crest Award and EPQ already, but perhaps if this isn't available to all students at all schools, do Oxford colleges also offer undergraduate essay competitions? I know a lot of Cambridge colleges do this. Yeah, so do the Crest Award potentially do an EPQ? Because a lot of a lot of Oxford and Cambridge is essentially self-learning, trying to figure things out, and then writing essays about it. Some things I'd also advise are online courses, like Coursera is really good for loads of online courses. Harvard's doing some free online courses right now as well. These are all great places to see if if you learn well through lectures, and then you can utilize that knowledge. For example, if you go to I don't know an epigenetics um, course error course, and you find that really interesting. Then write something about it. Send it to a journal. Send it to a magazine, and try and get it published from a student perspective. This obviously won't be a peer-reviewed journal. It would have to be like a medical student or a BMJ student kind of journal. But it'd be really interesting if you did take that extra step because that would show you know what you actually do like doing these kind of things, and this is something that interests you. Okay, I think that's everything from us then. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. No worries. All right. Thank you so much. So that wraps up another Open Pod episode. We've just interviewed Soham from the University of Oxford. So now you know all about life as a medical student at the University of Oxford and got some great tips on how to apply. Make sure you hit subscribe to be notified when our next episode is released. And as always, follow Medic Mentor on Twitter at MedicMentor1 and don't forget to keep an eye on the blog on the Medic Mentor website. Yes, if you've got any questions for Soham about applying to Oxford University or what it's like there, do comment under the blog post and we will direct him there to answer all of your questions. Similarly, make sure you visit our Instagram and if you're not following already, follow Medic Mentors Instagram as we are actively posting on there and we'd love to hear your comments and what you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Yeah, thanks guys. Bye. Take care.